Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Web Rush. This is episode two to the eighth power. Yeah, that's the way I roll. So episode 256, we're all going to talk about Remolt JS today. And I've got two of the creators of Remolt on for you. And I'm the host, the co-host, and all the hosting today. It's just me, John Papa, today. So it's going to be a fun episode where we're talking about some cool new JavaScript frameworks. I love talking about JavaScript. Um, before we go too much further, though, we'll explain kind of what Remolt is. I wanted to at least introduce our guests, Noam and Yoni. Welcome to the show, both of you. Hi, John. Thank you. Yeah, and I know you both wanted to kind of do a joint introduction to share a little bit about who each of you are to our audience. So I'll hand it over to you. So I'll just start by saying that me and Noam have been working together for too many years that would like to admit, but uh, close, close to 25 years. This isn't therapy, Yoni, so... Yeah, I you know. know. <laughs> uh, it's fine. But uh, <laughs> and anyway, it's, it's all been about our shared um, enthusiasm about uh, things like developer productivity and helping developers uh, in general. And uh, the, the business that we built and made together has been about um, legacy modernization of... Uh, of kind of large complex systems, database systems from a legacy um, kind of no-code tool to uh, C-sharp.net. And in that kind of doing that together, we've learned a lot about how developers build systems and, and the things that they do uh, right and the things that they may do wrong. Um, and Noam, tell, tell some more about us. <laughs> yeah. So. One of the things that, as Yoni said, we've been doing for many years is working with a lot of developers who came from a low-code platform. And taking them from the low-code platform to cshop.net was a huge challenge because you had to maintain their productivity and even exceed their productivity compared to low-code platforms that they believed were the best and the fastest and the whatever. And also, there was an age problem and, and complexities. And at the end of the day, we created what we feel is a very good API for developers to develop their application. And we gained a lot of knowledge about databases and data access layers. And, you know, we've got a million ORMs and, and lots of tools around that, which prepared us to where we are today to remote and what remote is for us. That's cool. So I guess it might be a good time now to kind of talk about what is remote. And I mean, I'm a, by the way, I've got the GitHub repo and the Twitter address and other things up here in the show notes. So you can all check it out. Uh, I'm scanning through it to kind of get familiar with what it is, but I'd love for you to kind of share with me, I think Yoni, you were telling me before the show, what exactly is Remote for someone who doesn't know? Um, so Remote is a library for full stack TypeScript or JavaScript developers that simplifies building end-to-end type-safe CRUD functionality. Um, the way it works is with Remote, you define entities using TypeScript and those entities serve as a single source of truth for your front-end and back-end model types, your database schema, your data validation logic, and your authorization logic. Remote then handles the plumbing of exposing and consuming a fully functional REST API and a real-time live query endpoint on top of your database. 
And it does so without you having to write any repetitive boilerplate code that people use to write for those stuff. Um, also important that it is front-end and back-end framework agnostic. So if you're using, for example, um, React with an Express back-end, Vue with Fastify, Angular with Nest, or really any other combination, Remote fits in your existing stack. And the same goes for meta frameworks such as uh, Next.js, Velkit, et cetera, all of these. I also want to point out that Remote is production ready and we're working toward a stable V1 API. So if you're building any CRUD functionality in your web app, which you probably do, Remote can help you get more work done with much less code. Wow, that's, that's a lot. But it sounds cool, so I've got tons of questions. I hope you don't mind me kind of peppering you with some questions about this. First of all, I love the fact that you're, you're sharing that it's really framework agnostic. So uh, if I like Next, it sounds like I can roll with you. If I like Nuxt, SvelteKit, Angular, um, front-end, back-end stuff, I could use Express or Fastify. Do, do I have to choose between those two, or is it also agnostic for those two? Agnostic for those as well. Okay. Awesome. Uh, it sounds like the only things I'm trying to think like, first of all, where are the guardrails, the things I have to live with? It's JavaScript slash TypeScript, right? So I've, I've got to be in that world. Okay. Um, I've got to want an app that actually saves or retrieves data, which is probably 99.9% .9 of the apps in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's actually an, an interesting point to that. You know, when I look at web technologies, you know, I've been developing for many years and in the WinForms world, I was able to create an API to develop very, very fast. And, you know, my first web application was up in production in 1999. So I'm back from the previous millennia. And when I came back to web development in 2012, 2013, I was horrified about the amount of work that you need to do. It's kind horrified. of crazy. Wow, that sounds terrible. It is terrible. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, yeah, Yoni forgot to introduce me, on, or I forgot to introduce myself on that. I'm lazy. Okay. I think laziness is a virtue. Okay, I have some cool anecdotes about that later, but the idea here is that I, I make a lot of mistakes and I hate writing a lot of code. And when I looked at the way people develop, where they create model types on the front end and the back end and lots of API endpoints and the validation code is spread all over and an ORM and a different type and just a lot of repetitive code. And I kind of feel that the, the attention of the technology gurus or the technology smart people goes towards applications that are, you know, build another Amazon or build another Facebook, or build another WhatsApp. And a lot of smart people create a lot of smart technologies for that. But in the world that I come from, in, in, in enterprise applications, there's a lot of teams who build applications where the users, you know, they don't have a million users. They have a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand. But those users use the application all day long. They have hundreds or thousands of tables, lots of business logic. And if for every one of these tables, I have to create manually five, ten API endpoints and drizzle to get the data or in this and validation spread all across I, I i just don't think it's feasible and when i started with the idea of, of writing code you know same code for the front and the back end back in 2015 2017 people looked at me as if i was crazy no 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 it's separate code separate repos you don't share anything you don't do that i said why at the end of the day we're doing crud on data why does it have to be different code why can't it just be the same code? And that's pretty much where we started, and that's where we got to where we are today. So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps, 
One of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, we're a consulting company. And, uh, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, or Vue. But they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at, at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework data grid makes sense to you, please go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com. I think it's a common story a lot of folks uh, have out there, too. And I, I really want to dig into kind of what you're saying about the size of the apps, because we often hear this app is big, and I think big is relative. Like, I've written apps that are usually, like you mentioned, by, by tens of millions of users. And in some cases, the apps I wrote literally had more lines of code than I could possibly count that high uh, you know, on screens and data. But some of those apps are milled by millions of users only had like you know, 10 database tables and maybe like four screens. There's small apps in the surface area of code that reach a lot of people. And then there's big apps that reach just a few people too. And I think Ward Bell, if he was on today, he would share that a lot of the apps he's written for enterprises, mostly internal, and you know, for their company. And they're web-based, but you're in the user base of you know 100 to maybe 10,000 people with massive amounts of data, validation, and logic that has to be done in CRUD. Um, so I think if Ward was here, he'd be all over what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and I think that there's not enough innovation for those kind of developers and those kind of apps. You know, when you think about SSR with Next, it doesn't bring much value to those kinds of apps. Yeah, they don't care about SEO, right? They don't care about the... Ward would often tell you, by the way, Noam, and sorry to interrupt you, he'd be like, you know, I don't care how fast my page renders, if it's it's half a second or 0.6 seconds, because my users will load the app once and leave it running for a month. Exactly. (laughs) So what do I care? That's that's exactly the point. That's that's the kind of applications that we live with every day. And and the fact that they just don't get enough innovation, and, and I was so frustrated when I was returning to developing web applications and I need to create applications fast and I'm used to releasing applications in hours and days and when you go to the web or when you went to the web at least back then, it just wasn't realistic. You have so many concerns to take care of, so many complexities, so much wiring all around and I'm, as a lazy developer, I want to abstract everything away. I just don't want to see it. <laughs> I want to have just that. And you know, the core idea of Remarty that I consider the API, the types, the validation, the authorization, the SQLs, the, the paging, everything around it as different um, views of a single business entity. It can be a customer, it can be an order, it can be a movie, it can be, I don't know, a patient in a hospital. And there's a lot of wiring we write around it. And the problem is, is when we write it, we're not always not as experienced as we want to be. It's the first lines of code that we write, and then we duplicate them with the errors, with the security vulnerabilities. And it's just become a mountain of code that is error-prone, that is um, security-compromised, and someone needs to maintain all of that code. You know, when we come to the perspective of, of large enterprise software migrations, 
we are very, very suspicious of co-generators. I don't know if you remember in, in Dota, there used to be the T1, T4 or T1 generator. You T4 could generate yeah, yeah, T4 yeah. template. And it sounded like an amazing idea. I'm going to do just this and it will generate a million lines of code. And then you have to maintain them. <laughs> okay. Or then you have to make a change somewhere. So we really, really hate it. And, and we kept it as, as, as tight as we can and as close as we can to TypeScript. So, you know, other tools like Prisma, for example, have their own DSL. Okay, and the problem with that is that I want to use Visual Studio to do everything for me. Okay, I want to trust in the VS Code team, in the TypeScript team to drive innovation, and I don't want to generate code. I don't want precompilers. I don't want a, a DSL definitions. I want everything to be code that I can refactor and edit. Wait, and just for folks out there, so you talked about Prisma. Can you explain a little bit like what Prisma is and how that differs or is the same as Remotes? So Prisma is in the... Uh, area of, of uh, software that handles loading and saving data from database, what we call ORMs. ORMs, the Object Relational, object relational model, Mapping. What it stands for? Yeah, yeah. Mapping. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Object Relational Mapping, back in the... Yeah. We, we're old enough to remember those acronyms. I'm so bad acronyms. with acronyms, I know. <laughs> I can barely remember acronyms anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Prisma came to the market to handle loading and saving of data pretty well, and there are competitors such as older ones like TypeORM, or SQLize and younger ones like Kinsley or, or query builders such as Kinsley and Drizzle. The thing is, though, I want the same simplicity when I access data in the backend. I want to have the same simplicity in the frontend. Okay? And if I want to validate data, I don't want it to be all around my code. I want it to be in a single place. So like when you're using Remote, let's say I've defined a, a person entity. From that, Remote will be able to derive the database structure. Mm-hmm. in whatever database you want to use, you know, Mongo, Postgres, MySQL, MariaDB, or even Oracle and SQL, that we have production apps in those as well, because we are in enterprises. Um, so it derives the database, it derives the API endpoint, it derives the front-end classes, type classes that use those same classes to have a query language with the backend, so you can do server-side paging, sorting, filtering, without writing any code, any wiring code around that. And also in that same entity, I define the validations. Like all of those apps have like front-end validation and back-end validation, and they're rarely consistent. Like even my bank, who's the biggest bank in Israel, restricts me from downloading statements six months ago. But if I go to the API, I can go as far as I want. Even my big, the biggest bank with millions of dollars spent every year on their software has these kind of vulnerabilities. Whereas with Remalt, I'll just define it on the entity level. So on the person level, I will say, salary is not visible for user who is not an admin and they won't be able to see it, okay? Or name should be this and that length or, or phone should have this and those rules. And the same validation logic that you write once will run both on the front end as front end validation and on the API in case someone bypassed it and went to the API. Just uh, adding a little bit to what you said, John, before about the users of these kinds of apps. I think like, you know, uh, obviously they don't mind about how fast the page loads. But what they do mind about is how fast you can implement changes, such as, you know, just simply changing a field from a simple string to something more complex. Or, or adding a new field or to a model or a new screen. And in a lot yeah. of the methodologies that we're seeing, which are for those, you know, apps that 10 millions of people use but have only 10 tables, they're not really, they don't refer to those issues of, the, of those problems that we're talking about. And with Rima, what we try to do is really make those changes as easy as possible. Make maintaining an app which has ten, dozens or hundreds of, of business entities as easy as possible 
um, not, not just to build it, but also to maintain and make changes because everything is kind of localized, localized to that simple right place where it belongs. And let me dive in a little to some of the code samples I'm seeing here. And I've been dropping a lot of links uh, into the show notes. For example, it looks like defining entities is a big piece of this. So I imagine we're defining the entities on, let's say we're using Fastify, just for example, so or Express. We're defining entities on the back end using JavaScript slash TypeScript, uh, TypeScript, let's say, here. And it looks like there's a lot of decorators. So, you know, we decorate our fields with uh, an example I'm looking at. It's got a contact or a person, and the ID's got an auto-increment decorator. The name's got a string to tell it, like, the data type that it is. And then the overall contact class has an entity decorator to say, you know, this is an entity in your app. Um, so it sounds like the way that your remote framework is working, because I haven't read any of this yet, <laughs> so I'm making a guess here, is that it's using the decorators to figure out with that metadata, like this is how the rest of the application should interact with my model data, my CRUD data. Is that right? Yes. And and the beauty of it is it's, it's not just defined on the backend. The same class with the same decorator is also used by the frontend code to interact with the backend. And how do you do that? Just curious, like how does that, if I define it in Express, how are you getting that entity uh, communicated to the front end? You're not really defining it in Express, you're actually defining it in a TypeScript file or module, which then we can, in a, in a monorepo kind of setting, or not not only in the monorepo, you can, you can split it, but that same TypeScript file turns into a JavaScript file that you can gotcha. load on your front end. So it truly is a separate, it's a file separation thing that you're loading in the, in the React app, let's say, and in the Express app. That's why if you make like a validation rule that is based on TypeScript code, that actually runs checks. It can run a check against a different entity for, to validate a field. That check can run in the front end and access that other right. entity through the REST API call, or it can run in the back. It, it would run both. Now, this also must mean too, of course, that if I if I write a file like that, and let's say naturally you're going to test it out in one side or the other first, server or you know, back end or front end. Uh, if I start writing it, and let's and I think you can see where I'm going here. Let's say I test it out in Express and I use some node-specific functions to actually do some things like file access or stuff like that. I don't know why I would do it, but let's say I did. That's the kind of, Is there anything in Remote that will do that check for you to say, hey, wait a minute, you're doing something either React-specific, front-end or back-end specific, or is that something you have to kind of monitor yourself? Like, actually, the bundler will take care of that for you. You know, The Vit bundler or Next bundler will just give you a warning that you're doing something wrong. They, they will scream quite quite strongly when you do that. And they will. And we have articles on our website that instruct you on what to do and how to avoid those. Okay? Even if you want to use file system in some validation of an entity, okay, there's a technique that you can use and load, late load FS gotcha. in a way that it works and won't bother the front end. So you're relying on things like Vite to do that for you. Yeah, I think we made a conscious, conscientious choice not to build a lot of tooling around remote at this point because I think that limits you down the line if you try if you try to build too much tooling around and kind of rely on the tools that you have. Uh, this sometimes will require, like Noam said, kind of workarounds, but um, uh, we might introduce some. some you know, some changes for that to make that easier. But even if you have to do the workaround once in a while, right. I think it's better than relying on us to give you the build tool. Well, this stuff changes all the time, right? So we don't know, like, think about it. Before Vite, the biggest thing out there wasn't Vite. It was web config. Before, sorry, web config. Oh my gosh. Webpack. Thank you. 
Um, you, you got dot out of my brain for a minute. Um, so, you know, you went back. Before that, it was grunt and gulp and choke and, you know, whatever else we had out there. Um, so I get you on this. But at the same time, if you're not going to have a, a, what does Angular call it? An opinionated framework. You kind of have to have recommendations. So I assume that's where your remote will come in and go, okay, we're not going to force you down this path to do these things, but let's lean on the tools that are out there. And here's the ones we recommend. Like like Veet. Actually, we play nice with pretty much anyone because we we don't need tooling because we don't have a precompiler and transpiler that runs between us and the and the bundle. Mm-hmm. We, we run with everything. We used to work with Create React app if you remember CRA, and we just as easily work with Veet and with Next and Nuxt and Svelte, and pretty much anything that comes out there usually just works. That's because we're using native TypeScript and and, and not tooling around that. So we really are not opinionated with that. Um, another thing is that we don't own your stack. That's very important for us, which means if you have an application that already exists and has one million routes that behave horribly, and you want to add Rimal to the one million and one route, just add it. It will play nice with everything that right. you use today. Okay, so just use I'm us. I'm glad you answered that because that's something mm-hmm. I've seen too. Like when when Ward and I worked on the team to help create some of the stuff with NGRX, that was a big piece for the NGRX data was to not. Like, we will make assumptions about your CRUD. If you have tables, we'll add your CRUD fields and routes for you. But if you don't like them, and you want to remove some, or you want to add things, it's nice well to have that control, because not everything is just perfect. Point at my table and expose it exactly as CRUD. So, yeah, that's good to hear that. Uh, it's also might be the, the point to add that Remo does have a lot of uh, um, kind of hooks and customizations that you can do, even, even with the CRUD. API that it exposes. That it exposes. I'm sorry. Uh, you can, you know, put your code in in, in there in the middle just because before data yeah. is saved to the database after it's saved, etc. And you can you can customize a lot. And then obviously you can go you know roll your own um, endpoints whenever you like. So yeah, one thing I like about this, and this is it's interesting. So if you're a developer, thinking where are my hacks? I've been many flavors of developers. If you're a developer who's like, you know what, I just want to know what the preferred stack is. It sounds like there's some good recommendations and examples on your site to say, you know, while you're not opinionated on you have to use this specific stack, here's ones that we have examples for. I'm going to go with Nest, sorry, um, Next with uh, um, Express and React on the front end. Boom, you're good with TypeScript. Yeah, we, we actually took the time to record videos that are less than one hour long. Okay, we have a tutorial with uh, Angular, with React, with Vit, with Vue, and with Next.js. In that one-hour video, we start by, you know, init Vit or init Next, okay? And within that hour, we create an entity, a database, API, validation, authorization, authentication, deployment to the cloud, and even live query where data gets updated between multiple browsers. Nice. All that within an hour of me speaking at a reasonable pace. A reasonable okay. pace. <laughs> so so you, don't put it at two times speed, right? Yeah. So two I can't watch it in a half hour? Listening to me in two times is a bit hard. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we got a lot of great feedback about those. People really like to see those videos because we cover... One of the things that I felt was missing, everybody is talking to, about, to me about this aspect of an app or that aspect of the app. And I, I want to have something end-to-end. Yeah. I want to be able in an hour to start and have something deployed and working. And, and I need someone to show me how to do that because I don't know everything and I can't keep up. 
So these kind of videos bring you, of course, they show Rimad, but they also show OSJS and uh, Able in some cases or what you need to write an app. Also, it's, it's really interesting what you asked about how we, um, I think some, of the, some developers expect us to give them kind of tips about uh, picking a stack. Um, some of them, you know, trust us from previous engagements and, and others are just uh, interested. But uh, there are also other types of developers that are really anxious to get remote working in their crazy right. Dino, um, you know, or, or I don't pre-act yeah. or whatever stack, <laughs> which is amazing to see. We're having a lot of fun with that because, you know, we're, we're staying, it's lightweight, there's no dependencies, you know, remote can really fit in any stack. And then they come up with some, you know, bundler issue or, or compilers that we have to face and, and we're, we're tackling that. But but you are correct in the fact that a lot of uh, developers do look for advice because it's so confusing, this world of many frameworks and tools. Yeah, we're all different. Like developers is a very broad stroke. And I, I remember from uh, years ago, uh, somebody I really trust and respect at Microsoft said to me, you know, one of the reasons back in the day with Visual Studio that we provide, it wasn't me speaking, it's this other person, w- that we provide certain recommendations, like non-owned Microsoft stuff. Uh, and this was like weird at the time because before then it was all the Microsoft stack. When Visual Studio, for example, opened up and said, we're going to include jQuery in Visual Studio. It wasn't owned by Microsoft in any way, shape, or form, but it was obviously a big, big community who wanted it. It's like, our customers want to know, we don't care that there's 5 million JavaScript frameworks. They just want to know which one do we recommend. Like there is a, there's also an analysis paralysis side of it. So there are developers out there who are like, I get that there's the flavor of the week, but just tell me which ones you recommend so I can get moving. But then there's other developers who exactly as you say is I've got like my own Frankenstein framework of all this weird stuff I've put together and I want Remult in there. So it's it's nice to have the, the full spectrum on there. Yeah, we try to accommodate and, and you know cater for for everyone. When mm-hmm. we started when we started, we started obviously with one framework and, and grew and opened it up for more. And even that required sometimes some paradigm shifters. Like, for example, if you work with frameworks such as Svelte or Vue or Angular that like state, and then you go over to React that does state in a way that I don't always like. Okay. And you need to get <laughs> for both. <laughs> so, you know, obviously there's the confusion of which framework to use. There's always the argument and whatever. But at the end of the day, we want to cater to anyone who writes CRUD. And people write CRUD pretty much anywhere. So we try to to be accommodating and catering, but still obviously have opinions about how things right. should be done and can be done and can be done effectively. Okay. Like, for example, if you would ask me, don't use Mongo. <laughs> use a relational database if you are writing an application that has relationships between entities, which basically most enterprise applications do have. Okay, so of course we support Mongo and some people go there, but if you ask for my recommendation, I would say no. Go use a relational because it will save you a ton of time. And even though you say that, I see in your documentation page, you've got Postgres, MySQL, Mongo, SQLite, SQL Server, Oracle, etc. Yeah, yeah and, and that's another cool thing about Remalt. Remalt is built on a plugin architecture. So each and every one of these databases is a plugin. Actually, last year I was part of a hackathon for Ukraine uh, where we needed to write software in 24 hours, and, and Remalt is great for that. And I needed a database that would be based on uh, um, Google Sheets. It took me an hour to write an adapter for Google Sheets, and then I have all the power of Remalt with Google Sheets. Okay, so we are big on, on that idea that you are not bound and you can just implement a specific interface and use whatever you like as a database. 
And the same goes for the real-time functionality, the plugins that you put in, and pretty much from all, all sides. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRx Redux on the front end, and .NET Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. Hey, I want to thank you both for, for coming on today and educating me and all of our listeners on Remote JS. And I've learned quite a bit on this. Uh, I also want to thank our sponsors for keeping us on the air Idea Blade, Narwhal, or NX DevTools, and AG Grid for keeping us on the air for 256 episodes. Yes, it's two to the eighth power, and I am a geek like that. Let's hope we get to two to the ninth. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, but I want to make sure we have time here for our final thoughts for the audience. This is the point of the show where you get to share any final thoughts that you might have. And I'll start with you, Yoni. Well, I'm going to be very original and just say, hey, guys, check out Remote. It's remote.dev. Um, the GitHub repo is just Google remote and you'll find it and we've got tutorials for Next.js, angular view and uh just react with express and uh, you're going to find a lot of good stuff on the website and we've got videos on youtube and join our discord channel awesome and i added some of that to the show notes but please feel free to add those too when you get a chance yoni Noam, what are your final thoughts for the audience? So I would like to uh, just a little bit share something about Remote, about what we've been doing for years. Because Remote started in 2018 as, as an idea in, in our basement, too, so, so, so to say. And when we started to try it out, we found the, the market of NGOs, of uh, uh, softwares you can write for social benefits of people. I ended up writing a small software that helps a, a local NGO distribute food from a food bank to, by volunteers to people at home. And it started with 50 deliveries and 5,000 deliveries and 20,000 deliveries. And then COVID came. And when COVID came, people were not allowed to leave the house in Israel. So the army took over delivering food to people's houses. And suddenly I was the right software in the right time. And we scaled from 15,000 deliveries a year to 15,000 deliveries a day. And all of that is still done today on a Heroku server that costs me $7 for the server and $9 for the database. And with that, I'm distributing 450,000 food parcels every year. So I feel that uh, uh, the, the thought of having entities and single source of truth could dramatically contribute to my ability to scale from 15,000 to 450,000. And it's not just a scale of number of users. It's largely a scale of functionality and, and rapid change that happens during COVID. And as we all know, there wasn't a lot of advanced warning for that. So um, what I, I invite anyone to do, come to our website, do a one-hour tutorial, and then write whatever you want. We, I have seen apps like, you know, a grocery list for, for my wife, a, a gathering of uh, um, 
battle collections that someone has. I've seen CRMs and ERPs reading with Remalt. And I actually wrote a, a, a finance app for my family, you know, to manage the kids' allowance. So you can write an app end-to-end in a day and be out there and have fun. So just enjoy it. And where's the best place that people can go to learn about Remalt to try it out the first time? So in Remalt, in our website, there's tutorials with any flavors that you like. There's React, there's Angular, there's Vue, there's Next. Just go there, either go through the text tutorials, or if you like videos, our YouTube channel, there's a one-hour video for each and every one of these frameworks. And if you fancy another framework, just drop me a note and I'll record a one-hour video for that. Uh, yeah, I'm awesome. Good. I want to see Svelte, man. I, I'm a big Svelte fan, so I wow, got to see we Svelte. We have a there. huge Svelte community. We actually touched a nerve with the Svelte community. Um, we have a great contributor, Janiv from Vienna, who is Svelte guru and amazing. He, he took this so, so he really bought into the single source of truth that he ended up extending the entity and created a Svelte UI that is automatically de- derived from the entity. So he says person and he gets agreed with edit with everything. So, yeah, Svelte is, a, we have a, an example project with Svelte and we're working on the wording of the Svelte tutorial and then there will come a video. Or as we say, challenge accepted. <laughs> challenge accepted and done. Well, and my final thought for today, I'm going to go a little bit uh, off the topic of remote and JavaScript for a second. Just say that I have been rereading a book series called The Wheel of Time. And what inspired me to do this was I read the whole thing over the course of two years. Uh, it's a long series, 14 books. Uh, and I caught a lot of it, but I'll tell you, I'm getting more out of the second read through on this book series than I did the first book series. So my final thought is if you really enjoyed something before through a book series or even a movie you've watched, definitely give it a rewatch or a reread. Cause some of these things like, wow, I'm really picking up on stuff now that I totally did not catch before, like little hints and Easter eggs of what was to come. And in uh, the wheel of time itself, it's just an absolutely wonderful book series. Uh, and my son is getting into it. He doesn't like to read, but he's watching the TV show on Amazon with me. So, <laughs> the hey, wheel I'll of take time. what I can get. Yeah. The Wheel of Time. Okay. And, and thank you, Noam. Thank you, Yoni, for joining us. And thank you, everybody out there, for listening to us for 256 episodes. You will hear from us every Thursday morning. See you next time.